What's up and welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson here in Studio B at the Oxnard Sports Performance Center. Getting you ready for a jam-packed day, especially for the Saints. Happy game day, Saints fans. This is black and gold. Get ready for a Monday night football game in Carolina against the Panthers. We'll talk to John DeShazer from NewOrleansaints.com about that as he's in Charlotte getting ready for tonight's game. A wild day in the NFL. What do you expect, though, when we're coming to Week 15 and it's close to playoff time as a lot of things happened, interesting things happened, including last night. A big thank you to the Philadelphia Eagles for their big win over the Los Angeles Rams, 30-23. to How about that ending? Rams were down 30-13 to and then came back to make it 30-23 to and then a fumble on a punt return for the Rams, gave the Eagles a ball back, and then the Rams did get the ball back after that, but they didn't convert on a last-second opportunity in the end zone. So the Rams dropped to three losses, 10-3. and or 11 and 3, excuse me, as the Saints are now 11 and 2, but now control their own destiny as far as the number one seed. Now they just have to win two of their last three and they clinch that number one seed, which means the NFC would have to roll here through New Orleans if you want to get to Atlanta for the Super Bowl. I think I read it. There's an 84% chance now the Saints can wrap up that number one seed. But Gorse, you have to get through Carolina, who's in a battle of their own, just a game back of the Minnesota Vikings for a playoff spot as well. Unfortunately for the Panthers, they've lost five straight after starting the season six and two, but they're also five and one at home. A little motivation for Cam Newton as he's ready to hopefully turn around what happened last year where the Panthers were swept by the Saints not once, not twice, but three games, including the playoffs. So I know that's on Cam Newton's mind, but he's been struggling as of late. And we'll talk to John Shazer about what he's noticed from Cam Newton as far as his play heading into tonight's ball game on the Pelican side unfortunately it was a loss for New Orleans last night at the Smoothie King Center 102 to 96 the Pelicans had three days off in between games but unfortunately that wasn't enough for them as the Heat come in winners of four of their last six on a West Coast trip that ended yesterday in New Orleans and it was Dwayne Wade's last dance in the city of New Orleans as he's retiring at the end of the season and he came out on fire double digit points for him and three bench members outscoring the Pelicans bench 58-20. to There was more to that as far as what happened yesterday. Pelicans dropped one game under 500 at 15-16 and and have alternated wins and losses for 11 straight games. And we'll get Jim Eichenhofer's thoughts on that as he uh, approaches uh, our show, as he does every Monday. We'll get his thoughts on that game and also look ahead. Now it's a tough road trip for the Pelicans. They'll take on the Milwaukee Bucks Wednesday, the Los Angeles Lakers on Friday night. And it'll wrap up the road trip on Sunday afternoon against the Sacramento Kings. So, again, a big show for you today. It's a game day here uh, at Studio B or inside Studio B, I should say, as the Saints get ready to take on the Carolina Panthers. We'll preview that. We'll talk Pelicans. It's all yours next. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sellerson. And, of course, we have to start with tonight's game between the Saints and the Carolina Panthers from Charlotte, North Carolina. Is John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. J.D., happy game day to you, my friend. Yeah, good to be here. Hopefully uh, get something done. Absolutely. Let's start with last night's game, though, J.D., with the Rams losing to the Philadelphia Eagles 30-23. to How big was that for the Saints as far as their quest for that number one seed? Well, huge. Now they, you know, now basically the Saints need to win two of the last three games and they lock up the number one seed. But it gives them a little bit of a margin for error. I mean, now the Rams are 
a game behind in the loss column. And we know the Saints own the head-to-head. So basically, they're two games up. They'd have to lose two games uh, for the Rams to be able to climb back over them. So they're in prime position. And, you know, even without all that, they still have their own destiny in their hands. Uh, they control what happens. So all they have to do, basically, you went out and you guarantee yourself the number one seed. You win two of the last three, you guarantee yourself uh, the number one seed. So everything's right in place for them. Hard to imagine, J.D., that the Saints and the Panthers will meet up for the first time tonight this season, and we're already at week 15. Isn't that a little strange? Yeah, it's real odd. Uh, usually, uh, the way the NFL schedule is, is you know, you'll play your division opponents kind of early, you know, before midseason, and then they stack up at the end where you're basically finishing off with division opponents. And they will finish out the season with two out of three against the Panthers, but it generally does not happen this way. They usually play the Panthers you know, earlier in the season and then maybe finish out the season with them. Let's talk about this Carolina Panthers team who is reeling right now, J.D. They've lost five straight games after starting the season 6-2. and two. Granted, four of those five games were on the road, and they're 5-1 and one at home, but uh, I know from afar you probably played a little bit of attention to what Carolina is doing. What have you seen for some of the reasons why they've struggled here in the last five weeks? Well, I think the biggest thing is Cam Newton is injured. His throwing shoulder is injured. He can't throw. Uh, the way he's capable of. And then during the five-game losing streak, he's got nine touchdowns, eight interceptions. I think he's been sacked about 12 times, uh, really getting beat up. So, you know, that's been the biggest issue with them. They still can run the ball. They run for it about, you know, they run for about 138 yards a game. Uh, that's second in the league, and they average five yards to carry. That's first in the league. But they're having difficulty throwing the football. So hopefully that will work in the same favor. Um, D.J. Moore is a really good receiver, the rookie. Uh, we know Devin Funches is a really good receiver, but they don't have Greg Olson at tight end. He's been a nemesis to the Saints and everybody in the NFL through his career. And if you don't have him, that takes away some of Cam Newton's security blanket. But he's been injured. He's just not throwing the ball well. And so the Saints are looking at that as something that they might be able to take advantage of. And how do they take advantage of that? Is that something that you see Cam Jordan, Sheldon Rankins a lot tonight, Marcus Davenport? Is that on the defensive line to put as much pressure on Cam Newton as they can? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to be able to keep, you want to keep him contained. You got to keep him in the pocket. He's a big, big guy. I think Cam Newton's about six five, about two thirty, and we know how he's a runner. We know how strong he is. Uh, but you have to keep contained on him, keep him in the pocket, and that way you don't allow him to flush and run. And, and, and he throws it pretty well on the run when he's healthy. But again, that throwing shoulder is bothering him. You, know, you can see it uh, statistically. Uh, you can see it on film, and so. You know, that's what you want to do. Hopefully, you know, Cam Cam Jordan's got 12 sacks. Uh, Sheldon Rankin's got eight sacks. And Cam Jordan has two in each of the last three games. So he's really showing up big. Those are the guys that you hope will be able to put the pressure on Cam Newton and hopefully force him and, and get, get his rhythm off, get his timing off. You want to keep him in the pocket, but you also want to speed up his mental clock. As far as the, we'll continue with the Carolina offense, J.D., and you mentioned the running game for the Panthers, and a lot of that has to do, of course, with Christian McCaffrey, but he's also just as capable of catching it out of the backfield as he is carrying the football. How do you contain a guy that is so lethal in so many ways? Well, you hope the Saints have a decent idea of dealing with him from, from having practice against Alvin Kamara, but you know, each guy is individually his own entity, and Christian McCaffrey is low. Uh, you got to, you know, when he's when he's lined up at receiver, you have, might have to dedicate a cornerback to him, a slot corner, you know, maybe T.J. Williams to him because he's that good as a receiver. Now we know Demario Davis and Alexander Loney at linebacker have been having fantastic seasons, but Christian McCaffrey is a tough, tough cover for a linebacker, 
and he's become, you know, kind of with Greg for now, he's become Cam Newton's security blanket. So, you know, he he might be poised to have a decent game anyway, but he, again, he's one of those guys you got to populate to the football, which the Saints have done fantastically this entire season. You got to have population to the football. You got to get to him. You got to surround him because one on one, he's an issue and he's a big issue to be dealing with. How much should we read into Cam Newton's comments as far as he felt he was disrespected with the wine that he got sent last year and the broom? And, of course, that adds a little bit of motivation. But with these two teams being division rivals, does that really matter at this point? What do you see as far as, you know, the emotions getting into play here tonight with these two teams haven't faced each other yet? They're 6-7. and seven. They lost five straight. And he's looking for anything he can to help motivate himself and his teammates. Um, Carolina's in a precarious position. And I, I – I, I hesitate to say this, but I believe if the Saints were to apply an early punch to him, this thing could get ugly and it could be over uh, pretty quickly. But, you know, you're in a position, if, if you're Cam Newton, you don't care where the motivation comes from. You're just trying to use anything you can use uh, to motivate yourself and your team. Uh, Cam Jordan didn't send the broom. You know, he already knows he didn't send the broom. He did send the wine. He admitted to that. But, you know, that's all in good fun and that kind of thing. But, again, if you're Cam Newton, you're holding on to anything you can hold on to to motivate yourself and motivate your team as, uh, during the five-game losing streak. Let's talk about the Saints' offense as uh, they struggled against the Cowboys. We all remember that. And then I felt like in the first half against the Bucks, they really struggled, but then came out alive in that second half over Tampa Bay with 25 unanswered points. And some of that came courtesy of Will Lutz. But you feel a little bit more confident now in this offense. And granted, I'm saying this when you have number nine at quarterback and you have Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, Michael Thomas, so you should feel confident. But do you feel like the Saints' offense is kind of back to where it was before that Cowboys game, J.D.? Well, they feel like they've gotten their rhythm back. Um, hopefully they have. We've seen the team uh, during those during that you know six-quarter stretch, basically, where they were a little bit slow out of the huddle. They didn't have the tempo they liked. Uh, they certainly didn't have the execution they liked. And they feel like they got back to it in that second half against Tampa Bay. Basically scoring 25 points, as you mentioned. Of course, 17 of those in the fourth quarter. So they seem to get it going offensively now. They worked with some short fields. They benefited from a block pump from Taysom Hill. They benefited from some really good positioning by the defense, which helped flip the field. They had a couple of short drive touchdowns. I think one was a 30-yarder, one was a 51-yarder, one was a 53-yard touchdown drive. So if you're able to be able to kind of get your confidence back and get efficient again, hopefully that will bode well for them. We know they struggled against Dallas. They struggled against Tampa Bay. And so hopefully now they've gotten back into the rhythm and, and kind of got a feel for, for, for getting back to what they do well which they didn't do for those six quarters. They did run it well against Tampa Bay in the second half, marking them with a nice touchdown run. Uh, they did throw it well. They seemed to get back into it. So we'll see if there's some carryover because it's always difficult to play against this Carolina defense. Uh, Carolina doesn't let you run a whole lot. They've got Luke Keekley at middle linebacker. He's as good a nemesis as you can find for Drew Brees. Uh, so this is going to be a good catch for them. Let's talk about uh, the absence of Teron Arpstead. We obviously know that he's been missing the last few weeks here for the New Orleans Saints, but how does that affect as far as the game plan tonight with a Carolina Panthers defense that is pretty capable of rushing the quarterback? And, of course, they have Luke Keekley there at linebacker. How does that affect the game plan for New Orleans tonight? Well, if there's any difficulty for, for left tackle Jamon Bushrod, then you just have to slide over some help, whether it be tight end help or whether it be a running back uh, chipping before he goes out in the, in the pass route or whatever. So you might have to use a little bit of help. But, again, we have to remember Jermon Bushrod has started at left tackle these last four games, and he's held up pretty well. 
Uh, he started at left tackle for the Saints from 2009 to 2012, so he's got some he's got some experience there. Obviously, and he and he hadn't played badly there. They just need him to hold up, you know, maybe maybe a few more games because you know I'm I'm beginning to think having seen Teron Armstead on the practice field these last uh, couple of weeks, he's been out there for a couple of days. It might be a situation where the Saints are saying, you know what, he's healthy enough to play, but we want him to be 100 percent healthy. Uh, going into the playoffs, so they might feel like, hey, if you can get by without him, which they've been able to do, why not rest it all the way, get him good reps in practice during the week. Uh, if you get the first round by, you'll have a bye week to get him some really good reps and then maybe come back in uh, for the playoffs. Had an interesting conversation with uh, with Zach Streif, a former Saints offensive lineman last night, and Zach was saying, you know, for an offensive lineman, when you talk about rhythm, yeah, it's important, but you're able to really kind of get back into it after maybe a series or so. And so if you if you can rest around on set and get him 100% healthy for the playoffs that way, then that might be the uh, that might be the way the Saints are going here down the stretch. Because again, we've seen him on the practice field uh, during the portion that we're able to see. We've seen him out there with his helmet. We've seen him out there with his teammates, and he just you know he's been on the injury report and then it's been out the last couple of weeks. So I wonder if right now, if he isn't healthy enough to play, but they want to make 1,000% sure that he's healthy. Yeah, better safe than sorry, that's for sure, especially with a team that could be heading into the playoffs with potentially the number one seed. All right, J.D., before I let you go, a couple keys for tonight's game. If the Saints walk out with a victory, how do they do so tonight? Well, they're going to have to run it. Uh, they're going to have to run it well because, uh, again, Tampa is, is a team. Tampa. Carolina <laughs> is a team that doesn't let you do it a whole lot. But the Saints need to be able to kind of dictate the tempo. And when they dictate tempo on offense, it's usually because they run the football well. They're going to have to stop the run. You know, all the, all the stuff that doesn't sound sexy, but they're going to have to stop the run because Carolina runs it so well. And, of course, they always have to get out to the quarterback. Cam, Cam Newton, again, he didn't throw it well. That means he might run it more. And so you have to be really cautious about staying in your past rush lanes and not giving him those opportunities to slip contain or to slip between gaps. You know, he's one of those guys, I don't necessarily know if you'll devote a spy to him, but you always have to be aware of him as a runner, especially now that he hasn't thrown it so well. That's John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. Of course, he's in Charlotte, North Carolina, getting ready for tonight's game between the Saints and the Panthers. Of course, you can look out for J.D. on NewOrleansSaints.com in the mobile app before the game. And, of course, afterwards, he'll be part of the post-game show presented by Verizon with Sean Kelly as your host. J.D., bring back a win, and we'll talk to you tomorrow, my friend. Yeah, one step closer. So let's see if they can get one step closer to that bye and that number one seed, man. And now let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans as they are off for the next couple days, and we'll take on the Milwaukee Bucks on Wednesday in Milwaukee. It's a three-game road trip. Joining me now from an undisclosed location inside this beautiful mansion is Jim Eikenoffer of Pelicans.com. Jim, we're at home here. I can't even get you inside Studio B. You must be a very busy man or just want to take a break from me. I'm guessing one of the two. <laughs> yeah, I guess it didn't work out very well because you still called me today. So, But um, it's good to be here. I'm just happy you answered the phone. I think that was the biggest thing. I knew that maybe you might not answer and ignore me, so I appreciate you doing that for me. <laughs> it's funny because when my phone rings from you, the the screen says, do not answer this call. But I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I did anyway. Well, this shows you how you read directions. Obviously, you don't follow through with them. So nonetheless, <laughs> let's talk about this Pelicans team. Unfortunately, we're talking about a loss gym last night, 102-96. to Kind of caught me off guard just from the sense that you had the Pelicans who had three days off 
Alvin Gentry commented about how it was one of his best practice days of the year. You had a Miami team that was on the road for 11 days. This was the last game of a six-game West Coast swing, and it seemed like Miami was a team that was well-rested. What did you think of last night's game? Yeah, I agree with that 100% that you would expect after all those days off that you would bring the energy and the intensity, but it seemed like Miami's one of the hardest-playing teams in the league, and regardless of the circumstances of that they've been on the road for a while, it just seemed like they were very hungry last night. And I think that led to some of, especially the rebounding differential. Um, sometimes, you know, rebounding can be positioning and athleticism, but I thought it was more the case last night where the Heat tracked down a lot of offensive rebounds and they were just quicker to the ball. So that was a big reason why they had such a drastic night uh, differential on, on the boards. So that was disappointing just because of the circumstances that you would expect that Pelicans would have done better in the hustle game aspect of it yeah and Jimmy if you look at the stats here for both teams you had Miami that shot 41 percent from the field or almost 42 Pelicans at 41 uh, we talked about the offensive rebounds that was a big difference maker but only 10 turnovers for New Orleans 18 for Miami mm. New Orleans shot better from three at 36 percent to 28 so besides maybe the offensive rebound what gives yesterday because if you're looking at just the numbers on paper you think how is this a loss for the Pelicans but what else stuck out to you as far as what happened last night besides maybe those offensive rebounds? Well, I mean, I think you're right. I, I wrote about this after the game last night, too, that a lot of the stats were even across the board other than the rebounding, and that made a huge difference. But um, I think when the, when the shooting is even between two teams that earlier in the – like my, New Orleans a lot better shooting team than Miami, a lot better offensive team. So a draw in some of those shooting categories is actually – really a loss for the Pelicans. So I think that was one thing that was a big factor, too, that that was the second-worst game that the Pelicans have had this year from a field goal percentage standpoint, that they barely were over 40%. So I think if you looked at the games this year for the Pelicans, if you look at the stats at the end of games, you'd find that when, in very often when they shoot under, say, 45%, it's been a loss this year, especially with – the defense not playing at very high level and being, you know, bottom five, bottom ten defense throughout pretty much all of the season. Uh, we look at Anthony Davis, who had 12 points in the first quarter, Jim, and had 12 shot attempts or 10 shot attempts uh, in the first quarter. And then after that, only shot the ball nine times. Um, what did you see as far as Anthony Davis there in quarters two, three, and four? Was it just guys not being able to get him the ball? Um, him being a little passive, a little bit of both, or was there really nothing that you really noticed as far as Anthony Davis and in how he played yesterday besides putting up 27-12? and 12? I do think a lot of it was the uh, strategy, the way that Miami's defense attacked New Orleans. I know Dave, AD said after the game that it was the most zone that he's seen, I can't remember if he said in a long time or in his career, one or the other, and so they definitely tried to take the ball out of his hands or prevent him from being in a good position to score. He moved the ball a lot and had seven assists. Um, so he was good from that standpoint of the game. But really, it was one of those cases, I think, in general, where the Heat pretty much dared the Pelicans to make threes and even some open ones, but they didn't make them. It was really a bad night to have one of their poor shooting performances of the season, from especially from the perimeter. Unfortunately, Julius Randle left the game with six and a half minutes to go with a right ankle injury. Um, don't know his status yet for the road trip. Alvin Gentry didn't really feel confident about him playing on Wednesday against Milwaukee, which 
Brings me to this road trip, but we'll start with the injuries, Jim. Now you might have Nikola Mirotic out. We don't know his status yet. He could be back for Wednesday, but again, Alvin Gentry is not risking it with him as far as making sure he's 100% healthy before he comes back. And now potentially without Julius Randle, you might be limping into this road trip, unfortunately. Yeah, and you're playing against some teams that have a lot of talent and are playing really well. I mean, starting off with Milwaukee, obviously Giannis Antetokounmpo is a great player, so you want to be as fully loaded roster-wise as you can. So it definitely does add to the challenge. I feel like even if the Pelicans were 100% at full strength, um, obviously we knew they wouldn't be on this road trip with Alfred Payton still out. But um, setting that aside, I, I still think it would be it's, it would be challenging and it would be a pretty formidable group of opponents. But, yeah, if, if Julius can't play, it makes it even tougher. Before we get into the road trip, I did want to talk about the Pelicans and kind of their inconsistency, or as I like to say, the consistently inconsistent right now, and just alternating win-loss, win-loss now for 11 straight games. I mean, can you pinpoint anything as far as these 11 games and why it's such a back-and-forth thing, or is it just one of those things where the Pelicans just can't get into a rhythm for two straight games? Yeah, I mean, I think I want... Usually when something like this happens, you, you try to maybe closely examine the schedule and say, is it just one of those fluky things where you've played against every other game has been against one of the best teams in the league or one of the worst teams in the league. But really when you look at it, there's not even, you can't even really do that because they just, they've lost twice to Miami during this stretch of games where it's alternated wins and losses. They just beat OKC the other day who'd been playing, who's been playing really well. They have a win against Dallas, Detroit, Charlotte's been pretty good this year. So, I mean, all of the wins have been against pretty good teams. And then, like I said, they've had a they've had a couple losses to Miami. Although I think it's past the point of thing of overlooking Miami because Miami almost has the same record as the Pelicans do right now. But I wish I could figure it out because I would I would walk into the locker room and say, hey, here's my list of reasons of things that you need to do to fix this. But I really don't know. I don't think anyone can figure out what what the problem has been as far as game to game. I mean, you, you could, there's no way to disprove this or prove this, but I mean, you could say that sometimes when the team comes off a win, that the energy uh, or focus drops a little bit and then vice versa. When they come off a loss, they are a little bit more locked in. But other than that, I'm not really sure how to explain what's been going on for the last few weeks. If we look at the uh, standings, Jim, here, the Pelicans are one of those teams clumped up with everyone else in the Western Conference. One through 14 still remain in the playoff picture. Granted, it is 31 games in, at least for the Pelicans, but you're only two games back of a playoff spot. We talked about this on the postgame show last night as far as the difference between, yeah, it's okay right now that we're alternating wins and losses because you're still in the hunt, but then on the other side of things, you're missing opportunities to maybe move up in the standings so that when you do get into full strength that you're more up the top in the top half of the Western Conference standings instead of in the bottom trying to fight your way in. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand as far as that concerned? Are you in the we're okay right now because everyone's clumped together, or maybe we need to start putting a winning streak together to kind of bump up here in the standings? I'm in the it's okay right now because everything's so tight, but I say that with the the disclaimer that if you come back to me in two weeks or so, I might think differently, especially when you consider that if you look at the Pelicans' upcoming schedule between now and New Year's Eve, they play a bunch of the teams that are right around them. So, And I'm not even talking about in the top eight. I'm, I mean, like, they play Dallas twice coming up here soon. Dallas is in ninth right now. 
They play Houston right before New Year's there in 11th. Um, they play Minnesota, who's really who's just behind the Pelicans on New Year's Eve. So if you don't win some of these games, not only are you going to be further out of the top eight, but you're potentially going to be behind even a couple more teams or have there be even more of a differential in the standings between you and especially Dallas with those two games and Houston, Minnesota. So um, I think right now I'm not going to panic and I'm not going to say that it's time to, you know, lose sleep over every single result. But I do think that we're getting to that point, especially when you look at who the Pelicans have to play coming up here over the next, you know, two weeks. Let's get back to that road trip that we were talking about. Milwaukee, Los Angeles, and Sacramento. And Jim, we'll start with even Sacramento. We can talk about all three teams, but Sacramento, I feel like everyone thought, okay, they had a nice start, but eventually they're going to fade away. But come more than a quarter of the way through the season, they're still well in this race. And I think it starts with some of their young guys in De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, he's been he's been great. I mean, Buddy Heald's having a great year. That backcourt has just been so good. I know people thought that De'Aaron Fox would make a jump this year, but because he's in his second year, and a lot of times that happens with guys that are really talented, but he's been so much better than he was as a rookie. He showed flashes, but um, just his shooting and his consistency have been way up. So that that team has been impressive. I still think if you, if you probably did a cross-section of people that watch the NBA that they still aren't fully bought into them as far as staying in the race for the – entire season are still being there 50 or 60 games into the regular season. But I do think at this point it is starting to get to the, to, to where you say like maybe they can hang in there because they're coming up with impressive wins. They beat Dallas last night in Dallas and the Mavericks have been playing really well since the Mavericks started off terrible. So they're, the Kings are, they're not only just picking up wins like they did earlier in the season against teams that weren't that good, but now they're beating a lot of good teams as well, and they almost beat Golden State the other night in uh, Sacramento. I'm working my way backwards here. I know you touched on Milwaukee, but let's finish here with the Los Angeles Lakers. It'll be the first time the Pelicans see the new-look Lakers, of course, with LeBron James. They struggled at the beginning, but are starting to find their own rhythm here as they've had a nice start to the season. Yeah, they really have. I think they've exceeded people's expectations just based on I think most people thought, including me, that they would be a lot better in the second half of the season than the first half because of all the new pieces that they're trying to integrate. And I, there was a lot of additions to that roster in the summer that people scratched their heads over and were like, how does this make sense and how does this fit with LeBron? But for them to be 18 and 12, I think you know that they should be really happy with that. So it's interesting to me, like just when I look at the standings, that they're, three and a half, they're only three and a half games ahead of the Pelicans, which if you looked at the um, perspective that people have on the two teams, you would think it was more, much more than that. But I'm looking forward to Friday's game. I mean, it's on ESPN. Unfortunately, people won't get to hear Joel and David for that game. But um, it, I think it'll be it's, it's going to be exciting just to be in the Staples Center, first time that we've been there since LeBron has joined the Lakers. So I, I will definitely be looking forward to that game. You can definitely hear Sean and I on News Talk 99.5 WRNO, of course, a shameless pug here as it is my show here on Mondays. I appreciate you not mentioning us, Jim, I can offer. <laughs> well, I meant like if I meant like if their radios were broken that they'd have to watch they'd have to get the ESPN call. That's what that's what I meant by that. Just you know, just in case. Okay. The radios enough. weren't working. Yeah, I totally believe you. I believe that's what you were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's Jim I can offer from Pelicans.com. Of course you can look out for our road trip previews that will begin tomorrow. 
as the Pelicans are on the road, we'll take on the Bucks, the Lakers, and the Kings. Looking forward to those, Jim. I'll see you on the plane tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. See you tomorrow. All right. And that'll do it for today's Black and Blue Report. We will have a show on Christmas Eve, of course. We'll be recapping Saints and Steelers. But again, Saints and Panthers tonight, Monday Night Football on ESPN. Of course, you can listen locally on WWL Radio. And then Sean will have a preview of Saints Steelers on Wednesday. And of course, the ladies will have the show on Friday. And be look out three Pelicans games again, as we mentioned, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, and Sacramento. Big thanks to John the Shazer and Jim Eikenhofer. And that'll do it for today's show. I'm Daniel Salerson. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Saints. And thanks for listening to the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek.